Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Good morning. It is a good morning. Let me say welcome to those of you who are on Church 307. There are a lot of you online today. I don't know where you're driving to or from or what lake you're sitting at or what you're doing, but thanks for taking time out uh, and joining us this morning. To the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, those of you who are here in the room, we are concluding a series today called The Perfect Library. Um, and this this series has been all about the Bible. Should we trust it? And how should we read it? And what does it say? And those, those type of questions. And I, I feel like it's been valuable to us because it's such an important part of our relationship with God. Next week, we're starting a new series called First John. We're going to look at a book in the library of the Bible. And we came up with a really creative name for the series about First John. Want to know what it is? First John. Yes, that is the title of the First John series. So I hope you'll join us next week for that. It's a really short book. Like you can go read through the whole book of First John this afternoon real quick uh, to get a glimpse into what we're going to be talking about. And uh, it is just a deep, powerful little book. And so it's going to be fun going through that. Today's message is going to be different than what you're used to. This is more of an apologetics message, and and, uh, apologetics is what we call the defense of our faith or why we believe what we believe. And so I am not an apologist. Uh, This is not naturally my way of communicating, but I feel like it's an important message for us to get and to wrestle with. And so we're going to go here today, uh, and I think that this will be a tool for you because really, when people want to attack your faith and what you believe, what they're going to do is gonna, they're going to say something like, you believe all of what you believe because of a book that was written by a bunch of guys, whatever. They're going to make up some straw man, not true statement about the Bible. Uh, and so today, I want to give you some tools to use in those conversations. Not because we want to get into arguments, because you never win those, but because you can have confidence in what you believe. So, should we believe the Bible? You know, when the Satan in the Garden of Eden wanted to tempt Eve, he didn't tempt her to steal, or to murder, or to lust. What did he tempt her to do? He tempted her by getting her to doubt the word of God. Is that really what God said? Are you sure that's what it means? Like, I, I know those are the words, but can you really trust them? This is what he tried to do. And this is what skeptics will do to you. Can you is that really the word of God? Can it really be trusted? So today I would like to tell you why I am absolutely confident that we can trust the Bible, that it is reliable, that it is true, that it is verifiable, and that it is trustworthy. Why should we trust the Bible? Well, the reality is God wrote it. And if this is true, then that's really all that matters, right? If God wrote it, then whatever other evidence we give of is the Bible reliable or not doesn't really matter if God really wrote it. 
And no, God did not write it with his own hand. And no, not all the translations or copies of the Bible are perfect and accurate. But we have come to the conclusion that we believe that God is in charge of the whole process of delivering his word to us. Like he intentionally sought out to give us his revelation, his word. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. And this statement has a few meanings. And I think if you grasp them, it is incredibly powerful. You know, the Hebrew name for God is Yahweh. Yahweh. It means he will be. Or I am. In other words, it, it, uh, there's no beginning and no end. There's nothing above. It's just all God. Everything is God. Everything that exists is created by him and for him. He just is. And saying his name requires us to breathe in and breathe out. Yahweh. When God breathed life into Adam, he was speaking his name into Adam. He was speaking Adam life into Adam. You know, the word of God is more than just words on paper. It is a revelation. It is a fulfillment. All scripture is God-breathed. And when Paul wrote this, he was talking about the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible at the time. But then God inspired Paul to write letters and he inspired Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and others to write books and letters. And he inspired them and, and their words were added to the Bible. And we believe that these words that they wrote were not just simply words on paper. These words were a revelation, were actually a bigger picture of God's plan in the world, and they were able to write down things that they did not know in their own human understanding because it was revealed by God. John 1 tells us that the word or the logos, that's the Greek word for word, the logos became human and made his home among us. And Logos is much bigger. It's much more than just the words that I'm saying to you. The idea of Logos, the word that is referenced here in John 1, it, it encompasses the whole purpose of the word. It's not just the word itself. It's the whole purpose. It's the meaning. It's the design behind it. And the word, the Logos of God, is God's revelation to us. It's not just a history book. It is part of God's plan to draw all of his children to himself. And for thousands of years, people have read his word. And they've been convinced that this is more than just a book. And this is more than just a library of books. This is an inspired library of books. And for thousands of years, people have been so convinced by this that they have adjusted their life to it. They've put their faith in it. They've followed it. They have obeyed it. And when they obey it, they realize it actually works. Like 
practically speaking, if I do what it says, I live a better life. I have a Jeep commander. Uh, They don't make Jeep commanders anymore. And that's sad to me because my Jeep commander is the best car I have ever owned. I love it. Like it works in times it shouldn't work. It's always been reliable. It just fits the perfect amount of stuff in the right way. Like I love this car, but it's getting old. It's 2007 now. Put a lot of miles on this Jeep commander, but I can't buy a new one because they don't make them anymore. So what do I do with my Jeep commander? What's my strategy in this moment? I got to take care of it. I've got to make sure that it lasts as long as it possibly can because I want to use it as long as I possibly can. So what do I do to take care of my Jeep? I follow the instructions. I follow the owner's manual. I obey its commands. Imagine one day I decided, you know what? Kind of done with that manual. I know it says I'm supposed to put gas in the gas tank and antifreeze and, or uh, transmission fluid in the transmission, right? It tells me where to put what fluids. What if I'm like, by the way, I just got to the end of my car knowledge. That's all I know about cars. What if one day I decided, I got my own plan. I'm going to put the gas in the transmission and I'm going to put the transmission fluid in the gas tank because I'm a unique man. I got my own way. I got my own values. This is just who I am. You can accept it or not. But that's that's your truth. I've got my own truth. I don't care about your truth. In fact, I'm going to spend a month out of every year making everybody else celebrate my transmission fluid truth. You better accept it. What would happen if I did this? What would happen is my Jeep would die. I don't care what your truth is. The designer of it designed it specifically for a purpose. And you got to use it the way it was designed or it's just going to break. And eventually I'd follow my truth all the way to putting the transmission fluid into the gas tank. The, The Jeep would die. And what would happen? I'd see myself as a victim. Poor me. Why could this possibly be happening to me? Why does the creator hate me so much? Creator doesn't hate you. You just didn't follow his instructions. You're you're the one that screwed all this up. This is your fault, Mike. No, I'm a victim. In fact, I'm going to vote for politicians who will give me a new Jeep. Because it's not my fault that my Jeep broke down. And it's easy for us in these situations to picture people we disagree with that do this. You know, because that group over there, they're really bad at not following the creator's instructions. But we all are pointing the finger. Why? Because we all do it. Every one of us. You can't single out another group that does this because you do this. Because I do this. I disregard the owner's manual all the time. I want to eat whatever I want to eat whenever I want to eat it. 
and don't judge me for my truth, right? I want to text while I drive. I don't have time to do them individually. I want to do them together. I don't care that that means putting other people's lives at risk. That's what I want. So I follow my truth. The reality is God is so gracious and he is so loving that he has given us instructions. The problem is sometimes we read those instructions and we decide, "Eh, I think I know better. I don't understand why you would give me the instruction. So because I don't understand it, I'm going with my way. I'm going to follow my way. And then the world blames God because we didn't follow his instructions. We blame him for the pain that we caused. If you don't follow the creator's manual, you will break the creation. But the opposite is also true, right? Why is it that people who do follow scripture are happier, are healthier, like statistically, measurably more happy and healthy, measurably more successful in life? Why are churchgoers so much less likely to get a divorce than non-churchgoers? Why do Christians suffer from hopelessness less? Why do Christians suffer from depression less? Because the instructions work. And no, we have not put them all into practice. And no, we are not perfect. And no, we're not doing all right. But the more we do right, the healthier we get. Because it's true. It's accurate. It's reliable. So I'd say another reason we can trust the Bible is because of scientific evidence. And most of the world would say, no. Have you read the Bible? The, the, they're in contradiction. You, you, science is against the Bible. They, they, like to, they like to set it up as a debate between the two. What do we believe? No, we believe the same creator created both. Gave us both. Designed both. The Bible is a library of books. And they are the most verifiably accurate ancient books that have ever existed by far. Nothing else comes even close. Let's look at some different areas of science. Take archaeology, for instance. I follow an archaeologist named Titus Kennedy. And Titus finds, on a regular basis, the biblical verification that this guy finds is mind-boggling. There has never been a single archaeological discovery that has disproved a single claim of the Bible. Not one time. But the opposite is true all the time. They have archaeological discoveries that confirm the Bible all the time. In fact, every time. And the the common claim of skeptics is no, a bunch of guys got together and made up the whole Bible story and they put it all together and, and it was just them trying to get power and them trying to get money. This is the common argument against the Bible, which is absurd. Because how were they able, before the world ever knew of places that are written of in the Bible, before the world had ever heard of Capernaum, Like no other place outside of the Bible do you get Capernaum until archaeologists discover, oh, the Bible was right. There was a place called Capernaum. And it happens over and over and over 
again, let me give you some examples. This book, this Titus Kennedy book is just jam-packed full of them. Let me give you two. First, one of the main arguments that atheists have against the Bible is that they say the Hebrew people were never in Egypt. That whole Exodus story never happened, is what they say. Why is that? Well, no other book outside of the Bible, no other history outside of the Bible points to the Hebrew people being in Egypt until they discovered the Jacob scarabs. The scarabs, it's like a piece of jewelry they've discovered in Egypt. They've now discovered many of these have the name Jacob, a Hebrew name, or aka Israel, written on them. Then later they find this curse box. It was like a legal curse that they would, it was a weird thing their society had. And in these curse boxes, it references cursing them by the name of the Hebrew God. And so they've continued to find in Egypt archaeological discoveries that prove there is Hebrew culture in Egypt in the time that the Bible claims that there was. Another one, they claim, oh, this King David guy. Would you guys always talk about King David? He never existed. We don't have any other evidence of him outside the Bible. Until in 1993, archaeologists discover an ancient manuscript, or monument, sorry, monument, or a big sign called the Tel Dan Stele that gives us details about the life of David. And it proves that David lived exactly when the Bible says that he did. In fact, there are hundreds of things that the Bible claims long before humans discover them. Long before scientists discover them, the Bible claims them to be true. For example, until the early 1900s, most scientists believed that the world or the universe was eternal. Until the early 1900s, they thought that the universe had no beginning. And if the universe has no beginning, there's no need to explain where it came from. So it's kind of a convenient belief that these scientists had. Until in the early 1900s, they discovered that the earth or the universe is expanding. They came to the conclusion that it all came from a singularity, a single point. And that led them to the belief that the earth had, or the universe had a beginning. Well, guess who had been claiming that the universe had a beginning all along? The Bible has always claimed that the universe has a beginning. If scientific consensus does not agree with the Bible, just wait. The scientific consensus will catch up. They're just behind, but they'll get there. Let me give you some more examples of times that the Bible makes claims before scientific consensus. The earth floats in space. It talks about washing your hands before they know what germs are. It talks about, talks about information in the blood before we know what DNA is. It talks about the round earth. It talks about currents and the oceans. It talks about light waves and radio waves passing through space. Next slide. It talks about the first law of thermodynamics. It talks about how to build a ship 
to the perfect specifications. Talks about quarantining sick people. Talks about these giant dinosaurs before paleontologists discover them. I don't think that you can prove all of the Bible claims with science. But people who say there's no scientific evidence for the Bible just haven't studied. They haven't thought through it. How can it keep doing this? How how can it keep making these claims and then being found to be true? Another reason that we can trust the Bible is we have a lot of reason to believe the authors of the Bible can be trusted. And I don't have time to go deep into this one, but there are many reasons. When you read through the Bible, you will notice that the prophets, including Jesus, they all seem to sound alike. They kind of all have a similar message. And what did they all sound like? They all said hard things. They said things that people didn't want to hear. They said things and they didn't care what people thought of them as a result of what they said. In other words, they weren't saying them to get popular. They weren't doing this to sell a bunch of books. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Most of the prophets in scripture knew that their message would get them rejected from society and many times it would get them killed. So what was their motivation? What does that tell us about them? They weren't doing it for selfish reasons. They at least believed it themselves. Watch this. Are we all here? I need 100% participation for this to work. Yeah, everyone's here. All 12, 11, 11 of us. Well, what's the plan? Well, as you know, Jesus is dead. But stick with me, stick with me, okay? Stick with me. I have a plan. We are going to steal his body. Okay, okay, I'm tracking with you. What's next? And then we're going to tell the whole world that you rose from the dead. Oh, Oh, you know I'm in. I love it already. (laughs) All right, classic, classic. Then what? And then... We're all going to get brutally murdered! Wait, 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 come again, come again. Could you go over that last part real, real quick? Oh, what? We get murdered. What's the problem? Uh, I I like it. (laughs) I like it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, Peach. I love me a good hoax as much as the next guy, right? Right? Uh, Oh, what's in it for us? Do we all get riches, fame, and fortune first? Right? No, no, get this. You're going to be hated, hated, persecuted, and reviled for the rest of your life! Oh! Oh! Okay, guys, okay, fellas, 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 fellas. Uh, look, uh, I, I, I gotta be missing something here, right? <laughs> okay? I mean, uh, why on earth would we do this? Can, can we start over? Oh, okay, we'll start from the beginning. Everybody, for John, yeah. the beloved disciple. So, okay. We go down to Jesus' tomb. I, sounds good. It's yes. really yes. easy. Then, we pay off the Roman soldiers that are guarding the tomb with their lives. Why, Why would 
they do that. And we somehow roll away the big stone that's in front of the tomb. Obviously, you have to move the rock first. Yeah. And then we steal his body. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess. Then we tell the whole world that he rose from the dead and we get brutally murdered for our troubles. <laughs> Epic prank, bro. Okay, guys, okay, and then what? Then we all get killed. Come on. When do we see ourselves become exalted and praised? That's just it. You don't! What what is happening? Anyone hear what I'm saying? This is the most idiotic plan of all time. Chill out, bro. I mean, do I really have to explain the joke to you? Look, it's that we lie about Jesus' resurrection, and then we all die. Oh! How am I supposed to chill out when our heads are getting cut off? Or worse, what is wrong with you guys? Thomas! Okay, look, back me up here. I know you can't be cool with all this. I know you gotta have some doubts. Come on. Doubts? Oh no, they're having a dash! Okay, okay, you guys have officially lost it, okay? I am out of here. I, I'd rather be exiled to a deserted island than spend another minute with you wackos. Have I got some good news for you? <laughs> oh, this, the, the reality is so much of what we believe is dependent on the reliability of these guys, right? If they were telling the truth, that's what we need to know. Did they actually see Jesus rise from the dead or did they not? Did the hundreds of people who claimed to see Jesus rise from the dead, were they telling the truth or not? Because the reality is biblical skeptics, this is, they realize this is true, so they have to attack these guys. And if you're going to try to discredit the authors, you have to accuse them of something, right? You have to pick an argument. You have to say why they can't be trusted. So what do they say? Well, some of them call the authors crazy, but then they also call them brilliant. You're like, which one? Is they either pulled over this elaborate scheme or they were nuts. Or, or sometimes they call them liars, but then they also call them mistaken. Which one is it? You, they can't be both. It's one or the other. But every time you dive into one of the arguments, you come to some major problems in the theory. They, they say that they're liars, but then they turn around and say they were mistaken. Which one is it? It can't be both. You have to pick an argument. Because these are brilliant men who can't be liars because they died for what they said. At some point, a liar, just before they murder him for the lie, he's like, okay, never mind, don't kill me. I didn't really, we, it didn't really happen. We made it all up. Like you stop right before you get murdered, right? At that point. And at some point, all the people who claimed that they saw Jesus say, just kidding. Yet hundreds of people took this to their graves. Why? The Bible was written 
over a 1,500-year period by 40 different authors who primarily did not know each other. So how does it seem that they all agreed with each other? The Bible, or people will talk about contradictions in the Bible. It's ridiculous. There are, like, point-of-view differences, but the main story, it's just consistent all the way through. Any psychologist would tell you that mass hallucinations do not happen. These guys did not all hallucinate and see Jesus at the same time. That can't happen scientifically. The reality is that without some supernatural event, there is no explanation for the resurrection of Jesus other than the fact that it actually happened. Why should we trust the Bible? It really all comes down to this. The entire Bible points to one of the most verifiable events in ancient history, the resurrection of Jesus. More eyewitnesses, more documentation, more cultures transformed. It all points back to this event. My whole life I've heard pastors make the claim that no respected historian denies the evidence of Jesus. So I went to inspect that claim. Is it true that historians who are experts in this topic all agree that Jesus actually existed? Not only is that true, but there's even a cooler truth than that. You can even take the statement farther than that. I'd like to give you some statements that are provable with extra-biblical evidence. They're verifiable outside of the Bible, even. Now, the Bible verifies them with many books, but there are books outside of the books in the Bible that verify these and are agreed upon by almost all New Testament scholars. Both Christian scholars and non-Christian scholars agree on these five statements. And then you listen to these five statements and try to come up with a storyline that allows these things to be true without the resurrection being true. Here are the five statements. First one, Jesus died by crucifixion. Second one that historians agree on. Jesus' disciples were absolutely convinced they encountered the risen Jesus. Third, the resurrection is the most influential event in religious history to this day and back then. I mean, Jerusalem, the place where the events happened, they could have just gone to see if the body was still in the tomb. Jerusalem, the people who had a relationship with the hundreds of people who met with Jesus after he rose from the dead, even Jerusalem was transformed. Fourth, The creeds of Jesus' resurrection were circulated before Paul's conversion because one of the uh, main arguments you hear about the Bible as well was written a couple hundred years after the events. That is not true. But what we know to be true is that even the, the creeds were circulating all through this time. In other words, people were telling people about Jesus' resurrection long before the books were written. I mean, they were transforming cultures long before the books were written. And then fifth, skeptics of Jesus were converted when they met the risen Jesus, including Jesus' brother. It's a watertight argument. 
You cannot thread that needle and come up with an argument about how it didn't actually happen. So what, what do skeptics usually say? They're like, well, I don't know how it didn't happen. I can't explain why I know it didn't happen. I just know those type of things don't happen. In other words, their belief is blind faith. They just, they, they will say things like, because resurrections don't happen. Okay, just because something happened one time and hasn't happened again does not mean it did not happen one time. There are many things in our history that have only happened one time. People, Jesus resurrected. It happened. If you deny it, you're just denying it by faith, not with evidence. We don't just have evidence from the Bible. We have evidence from extra biblical sources. Not only that he existed, but also that he resurrected. The crucifixion is one of the most defensible facts in the ancient world. And the fact is the found, that, that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of all of it. If that domino falls down, all the other dominoes fall down. It's all that matters. It all points to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole story of history, beginning to end. Get this. The first words of the New Testament, or I'm sorry, of the Old Testament, of the English Bible, are in the beginning, but the Hebrew word, that, that three-word phrase in our language, is a single Hebrew word, Bereshit. And the last letter of the first word in the Hebrew Bible, that T, Tav, is the, is the first word of the word, or first letter of the word Torah. What's Torah? Torah is the first five books of our Old Testament. So you go to the end of the first word, Bereshit, you got the Tav, and then you count 50 letters from that, you get the second letter in Torah. You count 50 letters from that, you get the third letter in Torah. You count 50 letters from that, you get the fourth letter in Torah. 50 letters, fifth letter in Torah. Then you go 50 letters again, and you spell Torah all over again. Every 50 letters, all the way through Genesis, you just spell the word Torah. The word of God is just weaving its way all the way through Genesis. In fact, it's not just Genesis, it's also Exodus. Start counting every 50 letters in Exodus, and you spell Torah all the way through the book. But it gets even cooler. We're going to skip Leviticus right now, we're going to jump to X, or Numbers and Deuteronomy. In Numbers, if you count every 49 letters, you spell Torah, but this time you spell it backwards. You spell Torah backwards every 49 letters in Numbers, every 49 letters in Deuteronomy. And they didn't know this until a couple of decades ago. This is new discovery that this is true. So why is it that Genesis and Exodus point forward, spell it in the right way, and then Numbers and Deuteronomy point backward? They spell it backward. Both, all... The four books are bookending, are pointing toward the middle book. Well, what's the middle book? Leviticus. And what is Leviticus all about? 
It's a sacrificial system. And we Christians believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of this sacrificial system. Jesus is the one sacrifice. Because the new covenant is not entirely, it's not completely separate from the old covenant. It is a fulfillment of the old covenant. Jesus is the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the fulfillment of Leviticus. It all points to him. He is the center of all of it. So the question of why do you believe what you believe and why do you trust scripture, it all comes down to, did he really die and raise from the dead? Did he really fulfill the whole sacrificial system? Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb who died so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can spend eternity with him. So can you trust the Bible? I would say absolutely. In my mind, without question, it is trustworthy. And if we do, what should we do with it? What should that, what does that mean for us? Let it breathe life into you. Surrender to it. Obey it. Even if you don't understand why it's telling you what it's telling you. Trust it. Follow it. Study it. Fall in love with it. Develop a taste for it. Give yourself to it. It is the word of God. Paul said, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. God, I thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice. It gives us the ability not just to read your word, but to participate in it. To be a part of it. God, I pray that you would spark within us an intense desire to know you more, to more fully surrender to you because you are great and you are God. We love you. Amen.